Welcome to another episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Colin, the co-founder of Status Scaler, an exceptional software engineer and entrepreneur who has been shaping the web applications landscape from past 25 years. With an illustrious career, Spanning numerous startups and self-initiated ventures, Coling brings a wealth of knowledge and invaluable insights to the table. Having founded several companies and played pivotal role as a developer, team leader, and CTO in various startups, Colin's journey has begun a testament to his unwavering passion for innovation and technology. His relentless pursuit of excellence led him to a creating a remarkable monitoring tool known as Status Scatter back in 2015. Status Scatter, a brainchild born out of Colin's own necessity, is a game-changing state aggregator. It ingeniously com- compiles the statuses of all cloud platforms and hosted applications into a single centralized status page for your team. By keeping a vigilant eye on providers' activities, StatusGator efficiently notifies team about potential downtimes, empowering them to respond swiftly and maintain peak performance. Okay, so I hope you enjoy it. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. Cheers. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share? Um... Yeah, to paraphrase a little bit from Dale Carnegie in a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, a very old book, he says something like, you can't make anyone do anything. You can only make them want to do something. And I think that helps me a lot in in sales and business and management and everything that you really have to get people to see your way. You can't really force anyone to do anything. That's been very helpful for me in my career. Yeah, I got the gist of it because... I guess ultimately, even if you're working for someone, you only do that when you want to do it, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You must have some motivation to do to do something for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. So tell us about um, what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah. Status Gator is a monitoring tool and you summed it up well in the introduction, but it aggregates the status of all of your providers. That's where the name comes from, status gator, status aggregator. It takes the status from public status pages of all the systems and tools and services and APIs and hosting providers that you use, brings them into a centralized system, normalizes and cleans up that data, and then lets you do different stuff with that data. And we have varying use cases, but the most common use case is to notify your team, you and your internal team, an IT team or a DevOps team about what's going on with your infrastructure providers and your API and your API providers and hosting providers. And then we have some segment of our customers too that also publish a status page with that data. And it's a big part of our product to maybe publicly post that data to their users, could be their employees, could be their customers sort of showing and displaying this aggregated status data and getting notified about it. That's what it does. And I have worked with few um, few um, agencies before, and um, 
I have witnessed these big um, televisions sitting in the middle of the floors where, you know, all these scrum teams sit around and then they have these statuses going on in them. For example, how many people registered or how many attacks has been, you know, uh, prompted on the service, API calls, things like that. And not just it keeps motivating the team that how fast they're growing in terms of, you know, usage, but also gives them very insightful, very high level understanding of how the backend infrastructure supporting their users. Is this something similar status getter provides from the value perspective? Yeah, we do have, a, we have a specific offering that does exactly that, that posts a page uh, on a format optimized for televisions. And we have customers that do, do that exactly. So we have a lot of uh, IT departments, a big customer base in education as well, but mostly startups and enter mid-sized enterprises. And a lot of them have users to support or customers to support. I mean, imagine you were a company with 5,000 employees and when Zoom is down or Google Apps is down or Gmail's down, you're getting inundated with notifications from customers saying, I can't get into this, I can't get into that. Well, you could have a page up on your screen or a dashboard up on a TV screen in your office that shows you the status of all of these things that you're that you depend on. And if Zoom has an outage, it pops up to the top automatically and shows you the message that Zoom's publishing in their status page. So Zoom might say, we're having a problem uh, with users signing in in the US West region. You can, here's a workaround for it, or here's the, when we'll update you next on the status. And you get all that data instantly in front of you. So it's a help keep your pulse uh, on things, like help keep you informed of things, keep you up to date on what's going on with all of your providers. Interesting. Interesting that it goes to uh, that deeper level where you could actually even track activity for a single user. That is really, really, you know. Yeah, the whole idea is you can respond to your your users. So you can say, okay, I'm getting these requests from my customers or my users and saying like, I can't, I can't access this service or I can't sign into this service. Why not? you can see what's going on with your providers. That's the idea. Right, right. Okay, great stuff. So let's let's talk about where the story begins. Where did, where did the idea for Status Gator came from? Yeah, great question. I've been a software engineer for more than 20 years now. I've had various companies at various startups and worked at various roles. And I think in 2015, at the time, I was consulting for a company and they had a web application that depended on a bunch of external services, one of which was the Facebook API. And I was given a bug. Somebody handed me a bug ticket, said, like, go fix this bug. And so I went in and spent all day pretty much trying to figure out what was going on with this bug. And it was intermittent. Something sometimes it was working, sometimes it wasn't. Really, I could not figure out what was going on with this code. And it was only later that I realized that there was an intermittent issue with the Facebook API. They had some kind of outage and it was a known outage and they had published this outage on their status page. And I said, oh, I wish I had known about this a day ago because I just wasted a whole day and a whole day of my client's money burning hours on this issue, which I could have solved if I had just known that the issue was at Facebook and not my issue. 
And I thought, I wish there was a way to get notified of these thing, incidents and outages that affected my providers. And I wish really I could just monitor the status page. That's really where the whole idea well, well, you know, it's it's a very popular saying among the founders like ourselves that um, sometimes when you face a challenge or, or an issue, that's the best place to start looking for solutions instead of, you know, looking for solutions first and then figuring out what is the pain point. So. Yeah, this is a need that I had and I built it for my own purposes. The initial version was literally just like, 10 lines of Ruby code that scraped a website and sent me a notice notification if there was an outage. And I used it myself and I thought others could probably benefit from this too. It seems like it could be useful. The whole product has evolved from there. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. I'm, I'm eager to learn more about the person behind this innovative venture. You know, can you take, can you take us back to your roots, share with our listeners about your upbringing and childhood? How did your early experiences shape your journey and eventually lead to you to become the visionary entrepreneur you are today? And where, were there, were there any key influences from your family or surroundings that played a significant role? in, you know, shaping your entrepreneur spirit, you know, we'd love to hear more about the foundation that sets up. Wow. What an interesting question. I, I have really been an entrepreneur my whole life. I am, and I'm sure you hear this from many entrepreneurs, but I am one of those people who had lots of side businesses, sold random things to classmates in school, like set up little businesses. I remember my mom used to collect my business cards because I would make business cards in school for all these little, all these little ventures that I had. And I have been always very, yeah, I've always been very interested in, yeah. So I had like, for example, a, um, a business like printing flyers when I was in, in high school. So this is the mid nineties probably. And I would, um, one of my er very earliest successful businesses was printing flyers for real estate agents. So some real estate agent would have a house for sale and they would give me the data on the house and I would design like a flyer about it and with a picture and color printers then were kind of novel and I had one. And so you would print this very nice flyer and they said, oh, we love these. We get like a lot of good compliments about them. And so I made a little business around that. One of many little high school businesses. And yeah, I've been kind of evolved from there. I mean, really, um, I got into computers early in the 90s, and my dad was always um, into computers too. And he, you know, bought, helped me buy computers. And I think in the late 90s, now I started getting this is maybe 2096, 97. I started getting into the web and being interested in the internet. Whole career, if you want to even call it that, started in high school building websites. I um, was working for a local company who was like an IT service company, and the web was very new and novel then. And I started getting into building websites, uh, helping him build websites back when, you know, it was raw HTML and ASP we had back then, or CGI scripts. We we're making CGI scripts. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but yeah, going way back. Yeah, and that's really where where my my internet career, if you want to even call it that, started. Mm. Um, from there, I, I I went to college after high school. I went to Northeastern University. And I was looking at schools in in, call, in high school, looking at schools that 
uh, had an internship program because I really wasn't that interested in school. I was really interested in working. <laughs> and I thought, let's find a school that had a good internship program. And Northeastern University had a five-year program where one year in the middle, you would um, you would go to an internship and basically work. And that, I thought, like, let me at least go to the internship. Maybe I'll drop out after the internship. Yeah. Let me at least get to the internship. Well, to be honest, like school was not really for me. I really hated college uh, for many reasons, but like I just was more interested in business and in doing my own thing. And I really hated college and I hated classes and I hated all of it. And I, I actually honestly did not even last a year. I lasted one semester and I dropped out and thought like, I got to do something else. Like this is not for me. And I, I really invented the fact that I wasn't, wasn't earning. I wasn't working. I wasn't making a living. I, I wanted to, I had like business ideas and stuff that I wanted to pursue and I felt really held back at school. Um, so yeah, I quit college and, and started my, my very first company, which was really just going back to what I was doing in high school and building websites and building, um, building websites for people and sort of networking and connecting through people and getting referrals. And there weren't that many website builders back then. So it was pretty easy to find work. Mm. That was really my first kind of real official business at age 19 when I dropped out of, of, of college. And it, that business grew, actually. I got a business partner, um, a local entrepreneur who kind of believed in me and, and grew a business together. And we grew that business to something like 10 employees, I think, at its peak. And it was a website design and, and development company. And that lasted, um, I think, until about 2010. 2009 something like that yeah almost 10 years of that business and you know for various reasons had a kind of falling out and wanted with my partner kind of wanted to go in a different direction with it and ended up kind of selling my part of the business to him and moving on to some to, to something new which at that time was like some more some more independent consulting and um, yeah really the intervening whatever it is, 12 years, I've done consulting at various times. I've worked at some startups, some of which were clients and then kind of convinced me to come work for them and yeah. um, kind of involved my my career from being more of a uh, an entrepreneur to being an employee at times, but really kind of didn't like it and always went back to being being preferring to, to work for myself and to work on my own ideas now. Yeah. yeah. And this is quite common, you know, I, I've been interviewing um, founders for a while now and I, what I've learned is, um, yes, you do learn um, leadership, yes, you do learn sales, yes, you do learn all these uh, technology which, you know, empowers you to become a businessman, but there has to be some kind of light or a ray inside you from your childhood which actually pushes you. Because, you know, there are eight, nine, I don't know, nine billion people around the world now. How many of them are entrepreneurs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's, it, it really comes to the point where, where you either have some kind of like, um, um, you know, uh, surroundings or, or, or a light inside you since from your childhood, which actually keeps you pushing in the same direction. And no matter which way your society takes you while you're growing up, you will end up. Yeah. Yeah. I've really, I've really been interested in, in entrepreneurship my whole life, really since the early days. And yeah, so that, that rings true to me. Perfect. Perfect. Great. So, so, so when you had that epiphany, did you look into the market where, where there are other products? What was going on at the time? And what did you see from your research that encouraged you to move ahead? 
I did not see anything in the market. I mean, I did a quick Google search around and tried to find if there was anything similar to this idea of like aggregating status pages or scraping status pages and getting notified about status changes. And yeah, I found nothing. So really, I just started talking to people, talking to my friends. And at the time, I really thought the market for this was other developers. And this is a common mistake, I think, that people... Uh, who build tools, tech, techno, technological tools, they probably think that it's developers that buy it. Well, first of all, like a lot of developers, a lot of developer tools are not actually bought by developers, but are bought by managers of developers. <laughs> and so like, it's not really developers who you target with a tool like this. It's really managers and IT managers and DevOps managers and things. And, but yeah, in any case, I had just started talking to as many people as I could about the idea and starting with my friends who are also developers and they said, oh, that is an interesting idea. Yeah, that would be cool. I wish I had that. I mean, no one can really value it at that point. No one could really say, oh, I, I would pay X for this. But people seem to think there was some useful bit of some useful nugget in there somewhere. And that caused me to pursue it, pursue it beyond just my own little cron script that I had originally created. And when I built it, I, I said, like, I want to have this be a paid product from the beginning. I I have built many random websites in the past with no, you know, no profit, no way to make a profit on them or no business model idea at all. You know, back then, everybody was just throwing up websites and hoping to make ad, make money from ads on it. And I just thought, like, I do not want to get down this rabbit hole of having to get ad impressions to make money. I don't want a free site. I really want to have something that people are willing to pay me money for. I give you a service, you give me money for it. End of discussion. So from the very beginning, yeah, I said, okay, this is, seems like something useful that people would, would use. I would use it myself. I built the initial version literally in like a week, probably maybe two, just nights and weekends with Ruby on Rails, used Stripe because it was very easy to get up and running with subscription payments. And yeah, it just, I just launched it from the very beginning with, with some payment process as part of it. Awesome. Awesome. And, and as you mentioned that you built it on a weekend, I just remember, um, there was, a, a SaaS. I, I don't know if it is a SaaS track. It's called Suba base. It's ultimate. Oh yeah, sure. And the tagline is build building a weekend and scale to billion or something like that. That yeah. reminds me. <laughs> now there's even more tools around this. I mean, as I mentioned, I grew up in the CGI scripts era where you had to do everything yourself. Yeah. This is now we're talking 2015. So we had so many more tools and Stripe and Ruby on Rails and things that just made it so much easier. And now it's even easier. You can, you can throw it together a single page web app or use no code tools to build something in a day, not even a week or a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was still relatively easy to get this up and running. Awesome. Perfect. So, so can you give us a sense of the size of the business, where you are in terms of revenue, number of customers, size? Of yeah. Yeah. We have hundreds of customers. We're less than a million dollars in annual revenue, but that's the next milestone and goal for us. And I'd really like to get there in the next year or so. We, I set an initial goal for myself when I launched it in 2015, I'm $1,000 a month in revenue. I thought $1,000, like that's enough. Doesn't quite pay my rent. I live in New York City, so my rent was like three times that, but it's enough to like, enough to make a chunk. 
enough to call it a real business. I said, I want $1,000 a month. And I said, I'll give myself six months to get there. That seems like good enough time, six months. Well, I mean, I had no idea how much work it was to acquire customers. No idea. I thought I'd build something and people would sign up. I think it took three years to get to $1,000 a month. 2018, sometime to the end of 2018, I believe, is when we finally got to $1,000 a month. But I, luckily, it was very either easy or just somehow, maybe just luck, I was able to acquire few customers very early on. I think the very first customer was somebody I knew, like a consulting client that I said, you need the service. And I kind of forced them to ask them to do it. And they did. And then within a month, I had customers who I didn't know or not my friends <laughs> and paying me for it. And it was profitable really at that point. It was the Heroku costs were 10 or $20 a month and the revenue was 30 or $40 a month. So it was profitable. And there was really no motivation for me to take it down or to give up on it because I used it myself and I liked it and wanted it. And I just kept it going because it paid for itself really. And certainly not in my time, but in terms of the raw, raw cost. So yeah, it took, uh, it took almost three years to get to a thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue. And I think it took to 2021 to get to $10,000 a month. In revenue. Now we're many times bigger than that. But it was a lot longer than I expected, and it was it was quite a slog. Yeah, yeah, I I can I can I can understand that. Yeah, um, I really really want to understand how the whole product work in terms of technical, uh, sure. you know, connectivity and everything. But before before we jump into that section, I would like to uh, pick up on when you mentioned that it took you three years to actually get to $1,000 for, for a month. And then, you know, your, your growth just ramped up like a, a hockey stick. I would like to know more. Uh, how, what strategies did you put in place in order to get more customers who are not your contacts? So Good question. question. Yeah, good question. And uh, I will correct you. There was never a hockey stick and I'm well waiting for that hockey stick day. Uh, it's been a very steady slog the whole time. Of course, the curve has gone upward higher, but like, I just always thought there would be a hockey stick growth. I always thought there'd be like some inflection point where it would just rocket upward and it never did. And it still never has. It's just been a grind. Man. It's just been a slow and steady grind, but you know, here we are and it's a real business now. So I'm glad that I stuck it out. But to answer your question, yeah, where did that where did that growth come from? Well, in the very early days, I can point to a couple of very specific things I did. And I don't think these, these really just were luck of luck of the draw or luck of the timing, but there were like a few places that I posted about the product. One was product hunt. And I did get a few, um, a few signups from that, like a few paid signups from that. But another was StackShare. There was a company called StackShare. I think it's still around. Um, and they were soliciting people randomly. I think I maybe had posted it on product owners, hacker news or something. And somebody solicited me to say, Hey, will you, will you post a, will you write a guest blog post essentially about the stack? And that was their, that was their, their content was about yours tech stack. Will you write a guest blog post about the tech stack of status gator? And I said, sure. And I wrote this, you know, took me an hour or whatever to write this post about, I built it with jQuery and whatever stripe and, rails and that blog post 
was a source of all of my early signups that were not my friends. But that blog post, they were very aggressive about content marketing. They were marketing their blog posts on all kinds of other blogs. They were getting cross links. They were reposting it on Twitter over and over. And every time they reposted their blog posts, including mine, I would get a little bump in, in traffic and maybe one of every whatever thousand people would sign up and, and get and be a paid customer. And that's where those early people came from. So that's now what I know, that's a real strategy. At the time, I had no idea that like content marketing and backlinks and like cross promotion and link exchanges, I had no idea what that was or even if that was a thing, but that's really where the early, early business came from. Mm. And from there, it has really been SEO accidentally and just word of mouth. And the SEO part was really sort of, as I said, accidental, randomly came across this idea of creating a landing page for every service that we monitor. So as I mentioned, it monitors all your services and every one of those services, it, it works by essentially scraping or, or using an API to collect status data. And when we collect that status page data, we automatically generate a landing page, a page that now is very keyword optimized for search terms like, is Google down? Is is Cloudflare down? Cloudflare up? These types of keywords. And sort of on a whim, without even thinking that it would be possible to develop search traffic from this channel, but sort of on a whim, I developed this little system that automatically generated these pages based on all the services that were added. And like, lo and behold, there's two things about search engine marketing that you have to know. It is a long slog and a long tail. And like, if you stick it out, you have way better rankings than people who are brand new. All right. And that, so that has that, that we have that going for us now. And also it's a numbers game too, where like the more services you have, we may not rank well for is GitHub down, but we may rank well for is some random service you've never heard of down. And that's the one that brings us traffic, right? So that was the source of most of our growth for that those intervening years, like from 2016 until like maybe very recently where we started doing more like direct sales and more content marketing and sort of more higher level, even display ads and stuff. Or, but that SEO, that accidental SEO that we fell into was the source of most of our growth for the past like seven years. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. This is a really good, good story because, um, the best traffic is search engine traffic. You know, you can do uh, SEM, you can do uh, yeah. so network marketing, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, you rely on return on investment. And I'm not saying that on SEO you don't invest. You do, but kind of it, 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 you can actually balance it with time. Also, if you are a founder who doesn't have much money to back up, you can you know replace the money with the time. But it actually returns sometimes typically 400 to 500 percent because that is how powerful the content is that's really good that's really good so so tell us now about the the stack you built this whole application wonderful uh state scaler application on because uh, a lot of our founders they come from tech background and they would love to hear about it yeah so Ultimately, it is a Rails monolith, and I know it's not sexy, and it's not sophisticated, and it's not the most like cutting-edge technology, but 
I have now been using Rails full-time and pretty much only Rails since 2015 or 20, excuse me, 2005. That's how long, that's a really long time. Um, I really don't know anything else. I mean, I know, of course, JavaScript and I touch other technologies here and there, but like I, I really wouldn't even know what other tool I would turn to. So I turned to Rails and Ruby, A, because of what it was, what I know, and B, because it has a reputation, of course, of being um, fast to develop on, fast to iterate on, and maybe not the most scalable thing in the world. But if you know what you're doing, you can spin up an idea quickly. And that's sort of always been the dream the dream of Rails. And that's why also, because it's the only thing I knew, that's why I chose uh, Rails. And Rails is still what the whole product is built on. Um, there's a large component of it that is Ruby without Rails, really. And so the big the big piece of what StatusGator does is collect data from status pages. That is a lot of times scraping because some status pages don't have APIs, but more and more there are status pages that have APIs. And so we're using you know, REST APIs or graph APIs. There's a fair number of status pages that have undocumented APIs. So it may be using an API under the hood but we are sort of reverse engineering that API and using that to collect the data. There's a lot of that. And that's all in Ruby. It's all inside. It all runs in Sidekick with like, you know, whatever, uh, million and million jobs, honestly, that just run constantly and can check these, check these services. Mm. And so the, the back end really is, is Rails and the front end also is Rails. We have been rewriting our, our entire UI recently in the latest Rails hotness, which is uh, Turbo and Stimulus. We were really trying to shy away from the two-tiered framework of React and GraphQL and all of these JavaScript front-end frameworks that honestly just terrify me because they change so so rapidly and I just can't yeah. keep up with the JavaScript front-end world. <laughs> uh, Rails is just... And yeah, it's gone, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Like I said, I've been doing only Rails for a long time, but in the middle there, I did, I did take the time to learn Angular, and by the time I learned it, it was no longer the thing that anyone used anymore. And then it was on to gra um, you know GraphQL and, and React, and then I built an app in React, and I just thought like, wow, React is like not even a thing anymore. Now it's like Vue.js and all these other later weight frameworks, and yeah, we've just shied away from all of that. We. We did at one point build a, so a big part of our product is the status page. And I mentioned this, it's like a status page of status pages. So you get a status page for your team and you share that with your team. And then your team goes to that. Your team could be your employees. Your team could be just your developers on your team. It could be your IT technicians, varies from company to company, but you get this status page for your team. And the question is like, where to host these status pages and what does that architecture look like? And our original stab at that was with something complicated that had this two-tier architecture. It was deploying thin client apps that were using an API and it was dabbling in like Vue.js or some sort of lightweight JavaScript framework. And it just didn't scale. It didn't scale for us for many reasons. One of which was just we wanted to iterate faster than like a two-tier architecture allows. Like we wanted to be able to just throw out ideas and feature flag off things and try different stuff and completely change the design. And when you've got an API, an API clients makes it much harder to just 
throw out ideas like that. Mm. So our latest status page stuff, it's all it's all just a Rails monolith. There's, you know, some Cloudflare Vercel type routing stuff that handles certificates and like proxying a little bit, but underneath the hood, it's all a Rails monolith. It's all hosted on Heroku. It's all one giant Postgres database. It's all pretty simple and it all just works, honestly. It's not it's not fancy, but it works at I'll, I'll die on top of my Rails monolith pile because it's just like to me it's just suitable for ninety percent of ninety nine percent of use cases. Yeah, and these, yeah. these more complicated architectures you don't need. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, uh, still we are in twenty twenty three. Forty to forty five percent of the databases we are currently using as a whole human being on the earth is it's still way older than what we can even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, 90%, actually somewhere around 92% website, which actually make money, is based on these PHP and WordPress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, WordPress, yeah. PHP, it's all just tried and true stuff. It's not fancy, yeah. but it works. Yeah. And it's 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 unsexy in, in the developer's world. People think, oh, you code in PHP. Yeah, you're not going to make money because nobody uses it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's the different different thing about... Uh, or it's like saying, you know, you're coded in Rails. It'll never scale. Well, you know, yeah. we're approaching a million dollars in revenue. Tell you Rails can scale, scale yeah. if you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and to be honest, once you once you want to scale uh, from a million to ten million, obviously you will have bigger workforce, bigger sure. everything. So you know you can make it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure things will change. I'm sure we'll hit database limits. We already did hit like Postgres scaling issues, so we use a thing called TimeScale that they beat out, which is on top of Postgres and. Um, yeah, you know, we've hit bumps and the architecture has evolved way, <laughs> way more than I ever thought it would. It's not just, you know, five controllers and three models and a Rails app. It's way more complicated than that. But at the heart of it, it doesn't require a lot of fancy new technologies. I'm using stuff that's literally 20 years old now. So I'm free. Love to love to um, know about that. So, so tell us more about um, who is your ideal customer profile? Who are the businesses or companies, uh, status gator as a company target as their potential customers? This is something that's changed for us a lot. As I mentioned before, I originally built it for my own needs and thought that the people who would want this product are developers. And then I realized it's not developers that buy things, it's managers. And so I sort of thought, okay, the target audience is de de DevOps managers, basically. The idea is thinking, okay, you want to keep an eye on your infrastructure. You want to know when Cloudflare is down. You want to know when AWS is down. You want to know when all of these services that your infrastructure depends on are down. And who who monitors, who wants to know about this stuff? DevOps teams, like infrastructure teams, people who are managing deployments and managing SRE is called now, use ago is called DevOps, whatever that sort of team is. And it turns out like that's not really who benefits the most from our product. Who benefits the most from our product is actually IT. And I think of IT as more like people who manage desktops or manage internal networks or manage users who use desktops. And so 
really more of our customers now, we do have we do have plenty of DevOps people and plenty of people who are looking at their own infrastructure and their own hosting and their own providers. But more of our customers now are, I would call on the IT side. And so you might be the IT director at a small company and you have 500 employees, even 100 employees. You know, our customers are not big at all. But 100 employees, you, you're getting requests tickets, support tickets, and you're getting help desk support tickets and issues saying, why can't I sign into this random service? Why can't I access this? Why is, what's, whatchamacallit, not working? And you don't know because nowadays you're not managing 20 servers for your company. You're managing 50 cloud applications. So you're managing a hundred SaaS tools that you're, that you're paying for. Yeah. It's anything from Zoom and Google all the way down to like some random HR tool that you have to sign into. And so employees don't know who to go to. They just know I'm at work or I'm on my work computer and I can't sign into QuickBooks. Yeah. Better call IT. And so the IT guy says, oh, I see. The issue is not with our network. The issue is that they're having an outage. Yeah. And I know about it because that is Gator sent me an email telling me about the outage, or I know about it because I checked our status page. And there is a segment of this, which has been the fastest growing segment of our, of our customer base recently, which is public school districts. So here in the U S we have thousands of public school districts. They're all independently operated locally. So it's a city or a county or something, and they all have their own purchasing process and budgeting process. I know in other countries, I'm sure it's all nationalized or something, but here it's all very localized. And so you, you have an IT director at a school district who's responsible for sometimes 2,000, 5,000, 50,000 desktops across their <laughs> Every child now has a, has a computer. Two years ago, this was not the case. So that's really when our business took off with schools is during the pandemic when, um, when, Schools said, okay, we have to give every child a computer now. And now suddenly IT directors went from having 500 teachers with computers to now 500 teachers and 10,000 students with computers or Chromebooks or iPads or whatever it happens to be. And so now they're suddenly like, oh my God, how do I respond to 5,000 support requests when Zoom is down? Mm. That's where our product gives them that visibility that they didn't have before. Yeah. yeah, the status page as well gives those IT directors a place to tell people to go. Like, go tell all the teachers, go to our status page first before you submit a ticket. Go check our status page and see if there's any outages, because if Zoom is down, it'll automatically be reflected on our school status page, and then you see you'll see that, and you won't even bother submitting a ticket to me. You know, you'll see that there's yeah. there's an outage. So this this idea of the IT director being our our i our our target our primary customer is really a mindset shift for us in the last several years because we always thought it was more on the developer or DevOps or SRE side of things. And it turns out it's not really, it is, but just more the larger extent on the IT side. Indeed. indeed. And, and this reminds me to, you know, a, a user gets, gets pissed off your service when it, it, the user is not well informed. If the user is well informed, you make the 
information or the knowledge available to the user at right time, um, you could reduce a, a lot of your support, uh, you know, uh, burdens. Is it? So that's really a key here that you're providing that insight, that information to the end users of your customers with the information, which actually enables them to make right decision at right time. Exactly. Great stuff. So, how do you how do you anticipate the future of your industry, you know, evolving, and how's your or state skater positions itself to stay ahead of the curve? Because I'm guessing maybe not in 2005, but now you have a lot of cost, um, competitors, and then based on that, you must have some kind of strategies. You know, how you want to evolve your your startup. Yeah, there are there are competitors. It's an interesting question. We for many years had no competitors. No one was really doing this. We really were the only ones. And so we built a pretty big moat around us because of that. There are a few people. There were two, I think, specifically that I know of that came and went that were very direct copies of our of our product. There is another one that is pretty blatantly copying us. I mean, that's okay. Flattery is the imitation is the highest form of flattery. So, I mean, I don't fault them for it, but they are um, they're very clearly copying stuff that we're, do we're doing. However, the competition is really more about other products that kind of do a little bit of what we do, but not very well. So, as I mentioned, we really focus on this cloud status aggregation, status aggregator, status gator. And there are other products that have that are status pages. So Atlassian status page is by far the biggest. I'm sure you've been to a million status pages that are hosted by Atlassian. And Atlassian does have the capability to display some third-party services on their pages. And they are doing a little bit of what we're doing on a much smaller scale. We have something like 3,000 services on our platform and they have a few hundred probably. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of other status page providers that do do again a little bit of what we're doing and so their product is th those products are more focused around the experience of the status page and have like a small component of that of that experience which is ingesting other statuses and our product is much more focused on uh, ingesting other statuses and then we have an okay experience around the status page part and I can see us evolving more features towards those competitors, those status page competitors. I could see us doing more status page features. I could see us doing more monitoring features as well. Um, there really still isn't that many people. Like, like I mentioned, there's one I can think of that is pretty, pretty directly copying us, um, but there still are not many companies that are really focusing on this status aggregation concept, which is a blessing and a curse because it's great. There aren't there many people doing it. It's a curse because, well, it's not something people think about needing. It's like you go, what do you need for your business to run? You need an email service. You need a, an error tracking service. You need a, a video conferencing service. It's a category that you're familiar with and you look for a service to fill it. Ours is not really a category that people are familiar with. So it's not something that they go and like search for. Um, but when 
when you do think about it, when people do have this idea, they're like, God, I wish there was a place uh, that I could aggregate all the statuses in one. Like, they'll find us for sure, and they will find that we are the best by far, and the, the with the widest, num largest number of features and widest set of services. And um, I could see us again pulling more features into our product that sort of touch a little bit into some of these other verticals, but uh, I've yet to see anybody get to the level of detail and depth that we do with this aggregation concept. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. So as we are uh, approaching towards the end of the interview, so just want to know, you know, throughout your journey and experience, there must have been some valuable lessons learned. So if you don't mind sharing, could you reflect on your experiences that tell us about one mistake or a setback that you encounter along the way that you now consider, well, maybe not a regret, maybe a lessons learned, and additionally, what advice would you give us, our listeners, based on this experience? Lesson learned. It's really about the longevity, in my in my opinion. I'm not sure that I made the mistake, but I did almost make the mistake of kind of pulling the plug on it, and I'm really glad that I that I didn't. There were times, I mean, in that early first three years, I mean, even my wife was like, come on, it's been three years. <laughs> Are you really going to ever make a business out of this? And like, I kind of agree. And it was at that point, not, it was really just a hobby uh, after three years of like cranking on it and not really getting to even a thousand dollars a month in revenue. It really felt like this is not going to ever be a business. It really felt like this is just a hobby. This is a few hundred bucks in extra money. Maybe that's all it'll ever be. And I did sort of lose faith, really, in the product. Um, thank God I didn't pull the plug. I just kept at it. And you know, there was a point that I that I really glossed over here, but um, but it's an important one, which is that I'm I'm not alone in this now. I have a partner, and I I he came on board in 2018, which was really when the growth started happening. And I contribute that. A, one, his contribution to the company of like, he's a, t a technologist as well and contributed a lot to, to, to the technology and writing code and so forth, but also having someone to be accountable for. And that was a really big deal for me because for those first three years, it was, yeah, I was working on it and I put in quite a lot of time <laughs> into building this thing and evolving it. Yeah. Still, I wasn't really operating it with any sort of accountability. I wasn't really operating it with any, um, you know, other than that $1,000 a month goal in mind. I really wasn't operating at the level of like efficiency and accountability that it needed. And bringing on my partner, Andy, um, really made a huge difference there because now I had somebody every day we did weekly calls. Okay. What did you do? What did I do? What are we going to do? How are we going to keep this going? What, what's the next step? And you know, we, we had visions of making this into a real, a real company and that having that person be there with you makes a huge difference. Having that accountability makes a huge difference. And so, and that was a positive lesson for me. I literally gave up 50% of the company. Not entirely gave up. He contributed, you know, in, in small amount of money and a lot of sweat equity. Um, but I gave away 50% of the company on the grand scheme of things in order to get a company that's 10 times more valuable, way more than 10 times now, actually. Um, that was a big, you know, positive blessing for me. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely 100% off, 100,000 and 50% off, 3 million. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
And the other episode I, I, I take away is six with me really is just how important it is to talk to your customers or talk to anybody really who will listen to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really obsessed in the early days about getting feedback from people, which is you really have to go overboard, I'll say, to get feedback from people. Like you really have to say in every email or every interaction with someone, like really you have to prompt them for feedback. And even then, a small number of people will give you real candid feedback. But if you just beg people for feedback, if you just really try to drill down and get their honest opinion about what the product needs, what it doesn't have, what it should have, even just how they're using it, trying to understand more about what they're doing with it. Mm. You really can get some insights that you just won't, you're not going to get if you don't talk to people. And I think that's been huge for our evolution over the last few years. Like this idea of, of really pivoting the product, not pivoting, but evolving the product more towards the needs of like an IT department rather than like a infrastructure DevOps SRE role. All of that came because we talked to our customers. All that came because we 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 listened to them and they said, "Well, you know, I'm in IT and I actually don't really care about whether AWS goes down. I really care about whether like all these dumb applications that my users sign into are up. <laughs> and that's really what I need to know." And listening to our customers was was really the biggest lesson over the last however many eight years now. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And this is one of my favorite topic too. The yeah? speak with your customers because it adds so much value to to the product and, and, and business. So, okay, great. So we should wrap up now as we are going towards the end. So I have got six quick five questions for you, you know, so shoot, just try to answer that as just quickly as you can. You ready? Got it. Go for it. What's one of the best pieces of business advice you have received? My old business partner told me, Sometimes it's best to just shut up and listen. And this was in the context of a sales call, but just listening to people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, the one I mentioned before, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a very old book and a very antiquated and outdated, but I just love this book about building relationships with people at all levels, you know, friends, business, sales, everything. I really enjoy this book. Awesome. Um, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Uh, you have to trick yourself into believing that there is some some success going to happen. I don't know how to distill that down, but it's really about believing in yourself and sort of forgetting about the idea that you're going to fail because statistically <laughs> speaking, you probably will, but you have to kind of ignore that. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite person productivity tool or habit? Boy, I've tried them all. Recently, I've been using um, Llama Life, which is a web-based to-do list sort of Pomodoro-ish service. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. Okay, great. And what's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had at the time? I have a lot of ideas of things that are spin-offs of status theater. Like, for example, uh, we pull in icons from every website that we monitor 
And there's actually an enormous amount of logic that we do around finding icons and finding the right icons. And I wish that there was a service. There are some services that do this, but none of them are good enough. And I know it's such a weird niche thing, but I feel like I wish this was a service that I could just buy <laughs> because it's not. And I, if I had time, I would try to build it into a service. Yeah. And what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Boys. Most people don't know about all my weird businesses as a child. <laughs> I've talked about it in the early days. Yeah. I, yeah. I sold everything from bracelets and little trinkets to the printing service was one that I had. But my very first job was at a swimming pool taking tickets in the summer mm -hmm. and I brought my computer from home and set up my computer in the office so that I could still make websites and code while I was working at the swimming pool. Awesome. Awesome. Colin, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and backing the last year, you know, tickets of years and building this business and some of the ups and downs along the way. If people want to check out Status Gator, what's the website they can go to? It's just statusgator.com. Awesome. And uh, do you also have any App Store apps or Android apps or just the web? No apps. It's been on our list for a long time. I think we'll eventually have some sort of mobile app. I would really love to have one, but statusgator.com is the place to go. Awesome. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Send me an email. It's Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at statusgator.com. I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Great. Colin. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing through Stings. Gaden, it's been an absolute pleasure and having you on our SaaS Stories podcast. Appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to this episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Colin insightful and inspiring. If you are a founder or an industry expert interested in sharing your story on SaaS Stories podcast, Please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artscircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep learning. <laughs>